After Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, Matthew's gospel tells us that when Jesus came up out of the water, because in those times, especially in a river, you were immersed into the water and then pulled out of the water. And so Jesus came up out of the water and the scripture says he saw the Spirit of God coming down from heaven like a dove and it rested on him. And then he heard a voice from heaven which said, This is my child, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Now, there are different translations of the Bible. The one we use most often here on the screen at Narden Park is called the Common English Bible, the Common English Bible, or we shorten it just by putting letters C-E-B that stand for Common English Bible. It was first published, this translation, Common English Bible, in 2011. It's a more modern translation of the scriptures using common English words of the 21st century The Bible that you find in the pews is the New Revised Standard Version, first published in 1989. Again, we use letters, NRSV, New Revised Standard Version. Some of you grew up with the King James Version of the Bible. Anyone remember that, right? Yes, which is a translation that uses old English language from England. And guess what? The King James Version was first published in the year 1611. All right? It's beautiful. It's poetic language. Some of us grew up learning the scriptures in that poetic language. But sometimes... It's hard to understand the meaning with all the yees and the yays and the begats and the lows and all kinds of other phrases that we don't use in our common language today here in the United States. In 1993, biblical scholar Eugene Peterson put out a version, another translation of the Bible, called The Message, which uses, again, a more modern style and language and phrases in the translations. Now, why am I telling you all this? Well, I find it really helpful when I'm reading scripture or working on sermons to compare different translations of the Bible. Because by reading a lot of different translations, it deepens my understanding of what the words actually mean. Because when you translate something from an original language, there's little nuances in the words. And it doesn't mean that one translation is better than the other. It's just that you get a different sense of the meaning when you read several different translations of the scripture at the same time. Now, 
I used to have to pull out all the different scripture Bibles and have them open on my desk. You can ask my husband. It used to be back in the early 90s when I started in ministry, he would find me with the desk open with all these Bibles, and I would leave them open, and it would drive him a little crazy because he's much neater than I am. Anyway, I would have them all open and would compare the different scriptures, but today... I use an app on my phone, yeah, called YouVersion, Y-O-U, YouVersion. You can get it at the App Store, and I use a website called BibleGateway.com. Both the app and the website are really helpful because I can simply type in a particular scripture I'm reading or studying, and you can just click on different translations and read it right there on the screen. Amazing. Now, you might find reading the Bible this way deepens the meaning for you as well. So I invite you to give that version app a try or BibleGateway.com. I invite you to read several different translations of the scripture so that the scripture is more meaningful to you. Just an idea. Listen now as I share with you a few translations of the final verse of our scripture reading for today from Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, from the King James Version. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased from the Common English Version, which you heard read earlier today. This is my son whom I dearly love. I find happiness in him. Eugene Peterson's The Message Version puts it this way, and along with the Spirit, a voice. This is my son, chosen and marked by my love, delight of my life. And finally, from the New Revised Standard Version, which you have in the pews. This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. As we read and hear the different translations telling the same story, but using different words and phrases, the meaning of the story deepens. Reading these different translations helps us to understand that the act of baptism is an act where God claims us as God's own. You are my child, God says. Even before we realize it, God is telling us we are family. We belong to God. And not only does God claim us in baptism, but God marks us with water and spirit as beloved. What does it mean to be beloved by God? It means we're not just loved by God, but dearly loved. We are precious to God. All of this is God's action. We don't have to earn it or to be perfect to receive it. God's love is just there for each of us, even before we claim it for ourselves. As Sarah has done today, God already loves us, 
So the truth that we claim at baptism is proclaiming something that's already true. You are God's beloved. You are dearly loved by God just as you are right now. Tell your neighbor to the right if you have someone to the right or behind you if you want to do that. Just say to them, you are God's beloved. Just just do that right now or to the left if that's better for you. Remember your baptism and be thankful. Remember that you are loved and you are beloved by God. And so powerful is this mark of baptism that it stays with us for life. It never washes off. It never washes away. In fact, in the United Methodist Church, we believe that it's such a powerful thing that you only need to be baptized once in your life. Even if you are baptized in another denomination, that doesn't matter. We know it's such a powerful thing. So we don't do re-baptisms. But sometimes we remember our baptisms. We celebrate them by giving each other the sign with water or giving you a stone. We've done that before. But it's not an actual rebaptism because we believe it's so powerful the first time, you don't need it done a second time. It's there for your life. It never washes away. There is nowhere you can go where God's love is not already. And there's nothing, let me repeat that, there is nothing, nothing you can do that is beyond God's love. And what's more, the scripture goes on to say that God is well-pleased with us. Well-pleased with us. Well, that's an odd kind of phrase, isn't it? So it's helpful to look at what other translations say With this phrase, God calls us the delight of God's life. And God finds happiness in us. These are the truths of baptism. The grace and love of God, and God is well pleased with us. And all of this begs this big question. What is pleasing to God? What is pleasing to God? What delights God? What makes God happy? Now, we often get confused thinking the answer has to do with success as the world defines it. A bigger house, a fancier car, a larger salary, an important position or social status, or more likes on social media than others. We often confuse these things with our self-worth. We do. Forgetting that God loves us and claims us and is pleased with us just as we are. Nowhere does it say that when we meet God, God says, tell me about your house. Tell me about the car you drive. What was your salary? Nowhere in the scriptures does it say that God asks us those questions. What is pleasing to God? What makes God happy? What brings God delight? During the last days of 2019, a meme 
of John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, circulated on social media. Church member Sue Morrison sent it to me. It was called John Wesley's Manifesto. And while John Wesley never actually wrote this list of items as a manifesto, the list was derived from a list of principles found in the writings of Brother John. The meme was compiled by Gary Best, a historical consultant at the New Room, a Methodist chapel built by Wesley himself in Bristol, England. I submit to you that these things on this list are the kinds of things which please God. You can think of it as John Wesley's top 12 things which please God, and the sermon title says top 10, so we're giving you an extra two. I've posted this list on Narden Park's Facebook page so you can read it again. And I hope you'll make your own list of top 10 things which you think please God. Here's Wesley's list. And remember, he wrote these during the 18th century. Think about that for a minute when you hear the list. He wrote them during the 18th century. Reduce the gap between rich people and poor people, number one. Number two, help everyone to have a job. Number three, help the poorest, including introducing a living wage. Number four, offer the best education possible. Number five, help everyone feel they can make a difference. Number six, promote tolerance. Number seven, promote equal treatment for women. Number eight, create a society based on values and not on profits and consumerism. Number nine, end all forms of slavery. Number ten, Avoid getting into wars. Number 11, share the love of God with everyone. And number 12, care for the environment. Hmm. Baptism is about God's love and belonging. It's about a grace that goes before us and a grace that is always with us and a grace that is calling us to be the very best version of ourselves. And baptism is a reminder of what really is pleasing to God. And it turns out what is pleasing to God is all about people. Each and every one of us who matter deeply to God, who are precious in God's sight, it's about making a difference in the world by bringing love and justice to everyone, including to our planet. This is what is pleasing to God. This is what brings God delight and happiness. You are God's beloved, with whom God is well-pleased. Remember your baptism and be thankful. Amen.